Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hi, and welcome back to Founders in Asia. Uh, today, I am really excited to be introducing someone uh, who is a very talented person working in the retail technology space. And actually, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Claire Chan, who's the CEO and founder of Her Velvet Vase here in Singapore some time ago, and really, really pleased to have her on the podcast today so that we can hear her story. Welcome, Claire. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me, Jody. Great. Thank you. And so actually, it's quite interesting, you know, we, uh, we're kind of continuing with the theme of fashion because our guest last week was Vincent Jen, who's the co-founder of a fashion accelerator in China. And we were hearing all about the interesting side of building a fashion business in China. And then today, great to have you on here, Claire. And I just want to share actually my story of how we met. So I was working uh, on actually doing a project for one of my clients, helping identify interesting people in the retail tech space across Asia. And, and we came across your profile and it was really interesting. What's great about your story is that you have been working in the e-commerce space for some time and actually uh, you're now taking your business offline, which was a really interesting angle. And, and so, yeah, we really are looking forward to hearing your story today. So, Claire, what, what we normally do is just start with hearing a little bit about your background. So we'd love to hear about uh, your backstory, so where you're from uh, and how you ended up doing what you're doing today. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I started out Havalvast with my sister and um, she's also my co-founder, May, when I was 19 and she was 15. Um, I was studying in Melbourne at that point of time, and I found the fashion scene there very, um, very experimental and very adventurous. But on the flip side, the fashion e-commerce scene in Singapore was still very niche. So if you wanted to buy an outfit, um, you'd have to go down to Orchard or you'd have to pop into a brick and mortar store. And I think that was what really got us thinking. Would it be possible to deliver um, an outfit to the doorsteps of our customers? And if, you know, it would be possible for us to offer our customers the option of shopping from the comforts of their own homes. And I think that was what really spurred me and Meg to start her Velvet Bars. We wanted to bring that sense of fashion individuality right. and the sort of convenience back home with us. And that was how we started. So with the yeah. dress. <laughs> it's so interesting, you know, 19 and 15 uh, founders. I mean, that's incredibly <laughs> young. <laughs> uh, so, but you've, you've been what doing the business for, for how long now? Um, so this year is our 11th year. Right, right. Okay. So yeah. well established. You've been around the traps for quite <laughs> some time, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Okay. And so, so great. So then you came up with the idea and, uh, and so what you've started back in Singapore after returning home from Melbourne. Yeah. So I, we, we actually started in Melbourne. So I was doing my first year of uni there. Um, I, we started with, uh, 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 one dress. Uh, I persuaded my mom to stand on a chair <laughs> and take a picture of me while I wore this pair of massive sunglasses and a, um, a quite a horrible fake orange tan then. <laughs> yeah. So that was how we started. Right. Right. And wow. So that's early days then, I guess, of using social media too, or, or actually, sorry, I should clarify. How did you, so what you took a photo and then what have you done with it? How did you then start to we, sell from there? We, we, at the point of time, Instagram wasn't around yet. So um, we, 
I took the picture, um, and then me and Meg, we started a free blog on LiveJournal, and then we posted it there. And I think there were a couple of communities then, so we, we cross-posted the pictures on a couple of other um, other sites, and then we managed to get our first our first and our second customer, and then we were quite lucky. So from there, it was word of mouth, and then that was how the I think that was how it spread, and that was how we got how we managed to build our customer base. Right, right. And so what, you were sourcing fashion. Um, yeah, so it was actually kind of, um, my dad calls it, um, you know, an excuse to shop for myself. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, look, you, you've yeah. got to do something you're passionate about, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we started with one dress and then I brought it back, took a picture of it, put it up online and then went back. And then with, um, with the profit that we got from that one dress, bought two dresses. And then that was just kind of how it snowballed. Great, right, right. Yeah. Totally bootstrapping it. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what, then you, you finished university, did you, and then came back? What, yeah. yeah. So, um, well, I, I actually had this, uh, I had many fights with my dad because I wanted to stop and I wanted to, um, um, I wanted to focus on Havel Abbas. Um, and each time we fought, um, you know, like it got, uh, it got more and more intense until one day um, he, he told me, um, and this was really the thing that, you know, kind of, you know, was, you know, like, stopped me from you know any other any other arguments in the future he told me that if you want to start a business whatever you start you end so if you start if you started um in university you have to end it and I was like oh okay that 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 makes that does make sense so I finished my I finished my degree and then went on to postgrad and then after I graduated I I I started Havalvas full-time in Singapore Right. So while you were finishing your studies then, were you still working on the business at that stage? Yes, I was. So I was straddling uni and um, also doing Havala Vas at the time. Right, right. And so what, were you sourcing fashion from Australia and bringing it back to Singapore? Yes, I was. So I was going from store to store, um, trying to find products that were on discount, that were on sale, products that had good quality, had good cut, and then I would bring those pieces back. Right, right. Okay, right. And so then you finish university, you've come back to Singapore, and then how did you go about setting up the business from there? Um, well, it was it was it was quite organic. So um, when we first started, I started out from home. Um, when I graduated from Australia, we started to um, import stocks through agents in Singapore instead. And then I would start bringing products home, stock it up. My room would be my warehouse. And then eventually it came, became the living room, the study room. It became all the rooms in the house. <laughs> Until my dad told me one day that, you know what, that's it. You know, like the house is starting to look like a warehouse like a warehouse, and then he got me to move um, into his office. So he has an office um, in, in, in the city area. Uh, we moved in. Everything was great. He gave me a couple of units so that I'd be able to stock my stocks. Um, and then my sister started wearing uh, you know, T-shirts, shorts, sneakers, and we'd be pushing a trolley of stocks up, um, up his office lobby, into his office, into one of the rooms. And then he was like, if you continue like that, none of my clients are going to continue walking here with me. So he kicked us out. Um, and then we rented an office. It sounds like your dad's been an integral part of this whole story, actually. <laughs> he hasn't, he hasn't. Yeah, and so that's interesting then. Actually, even, you know, the fact that because, so what, so 10, 11 years ago, uh, you know, and I know this from, from speaking with some of my Singaporean friends and, you know, certainly I see this with some of my other friends from across other Asian markets, you know, the idea of becoming an entrepreneur out of university is was actually 
a really brave move because, you know, I think a lot of expectation for a lot of my Asian friends is that, you know, their parents expect them to, to go to university and get a job, especially back then. I think things have changed now. Did you have that pressure at all or did you feel like actually you were getting a lot of support from your family to try this out? I Well, to be very honest, I think my parents have been very, very supportive. My dad is in business himself, so I think he could understand that. Mm. At the same time, I uh, my dad has always been an advocate of you know being creative, um, being being innovative, and enjoying enjoying the work that you do. So he was very supportive from the start. But the thing was, he was also quite strict and quite firm about the values that he was instilling with me. I think it was it, it eventually formed a very good foundation um, as I continued growing in the business. Um, my mom has been incredibly supportive as well. So she <laughs> ever since um, the very first time I conned her into into standing on that chair to take pictures <laughs> yeah. for me. Um, she's always been there. She's always tried to cover for us. She's always tried to help in every way that she can. So I think in that sense, both me and Meg were very lucky. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Huge. Incredible to have that family support, but also effectively mentorship within your, your close family circle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really fortunate to have access to that. Okay, great. And then, and so, yeah, if you could just, uh, what, what was next? So then you're, you know, you're pushing trolleys of clothing into your dad's <laughs> office and he's like, oh, okay, no, that's, that's not going to work. Uh, where did you go from there? Um, well, we eventually set up an office, um, in Ubi. Um, we wanted to be close to the Singapore's headquarters so that we'd be able to ship out all our products as fast as possible. Um, and that was how we started. So with me and my sister, uh, we hired and we hired a small team. Um, I think that was the beginning of a very different journey that I thought that you know that I was going to be on. Um, I think um, when I look back on that, um, I you know I wonder how you know, but it was it was interesting as well because I wonder how I found that um, courage to hire a team and then to eventually build a team. Mm. I never realized that you know, that it would be so different and so difficult at that point of time. So different, you mean, to what working as a as a solo or, or working as, a, you know, with uh, your sister as a co-founder? Is that what you mean? Yeah, so it was more of, um, you know, we were so used to our working styles. We were so used to um, having that sort of chemistry between the both of us with mm. my mom helping, and then suddenly we had to build um, a team, and then we had to start getting used to managing a team, to working together with a team, to and then, you know, like above all, to leading a team. And I think at that point of time, the only other work experience I had was, you know, part-timing at, um, at McDonald's. Right, right. Okay. Oh, well, you know, McDonald's is a... <laughs> is a you know a great foundation for working in business right they're so good at teaching processes and yeah, yeah. yes but you know it's like McDonald's was great I learned about processes I had a great um I had a, I had a great manager um that I was able to learn from but I was only there for two or three months so um I wasn't I didn't realize what I was going into when I started building a team yeah um, right. I felt really hard so and of um, course very different to the fashion business <laughs> Right. So one incident that I um, I remember very clearly was um, when we first started out. We hired a team that was much older than us, and the reason um, we did that was because I was I was 21 then, and Meg was um, 17. Mm -hmm. So we thought that by hiring a team older than us, that they would be able to share their expertise and help us grow the business. Mm. And I think you know because 
the entire business model was so different. Um, they were quite uncomfortable with the erratic working schedule and the pace of the entire e-commerce strategy. And a very large percentage of the feedback that we received was constantly very negative. It was quite bleak for us then as well, because I think me and Meg really doubted ourselves. We, you know, like we were wondering um, if, you know, we were cut out for this, if, you know, we were able to lead a team, mm. if we were, um, if we were even, you know, like able to manage running the business and leading the team. Um, it was quite frustrating as well. But then eventually we took a gamble. Um, we thought that we would trust and go ahead with our vision um, and that it shouldn't and couldn't, um, it couldn't and shouldn't be changed. And then we started looking for um, a team that would be able to support us. So I think at that point of time, we had to let go of the entire team because it just, there wasn't that sort of fit. Mm-hmm. And then we started hiring a much younger team, um, but then that was a whole new different. Um, there was a whole new different ball game altogether. Um, I think it came with a lot of uh, a lot of people started coming in with um, with all these different sort of expectations. I think maybe because they didn't have experience in the in 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 the working environment at the point of time because we were hiring fresh graduates. Right. Yep. Um, and I think you know, like it, when I started out, I. I didn't know how to say no. So the thing was, like, I didn't like to be the bad person. I, I wanted to be light. I wanted to be popular. So then a lot of times when people came up to me and went like, um, okay, Claire, you know, like, can we do this this way? Or like, can we have this sort of benefit? I'd always go yes, no mm. matter how, you know, uncomfortable I felt, I would go yes. And then I would be really uncomfortable about it. And then it got to a point where I think it was just, you know, like, I'm generally quite a happy person. Um, and then, but the thing was like, because I was saying yes all the time, but then I wasn't so happy about that. It became a bit incongruent. Mm, you mean you were saying yes to everything, yes, to, right? As in, as into doing the uh, to doing work for um, others, or yes to their ideas, um, well, which you was, weren't comfortable with, or was okay, ideas wise? I think because I was quite clear about you know like our direction, so I would say okay, if if there was anything that I felt wasn't wasn't um, wasn't consistent with um with you know the, the 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 plan that we had or the strategy we had i was comfortable with saying no to that surprisingly mm. but it's more of you know like the softer stuff so like you know when somebody went like okay you know what i have this amount of days of leave can i have more or you know like um you know like there was this one um one one person who mentioned that okay i'm working um 12 hours a day and i was like but you come in at nine and you leave at five or six how's that 12 and she was like because you're factoring in um traveling time <laughs> And I didn't have the experience and I was like, okay, well, that is kind of true. But, you know, like I didn't really, you know, it didn't occur to me to, you know, like cross check that with someone or like, you know, speak to somebody about it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be a great boss. Yes, I agree with that. I'm going to give you, you know, like this amount of, you can, you can leave earlier or, you know, you can have an extra day off. Yeah, right. That kind of snowball. And then, you know, like when that, when it finally reaches a stage where you're uncomfortable with it and you go like, okay, I need to say no, then that becomes like a shock to everybody on the team because like you come in and suddenly you're like, no, what used to be in the past. So that, that's not about quite, quite a fair bit. And then it got quite, um, I think like it got quite uncomfortable for me as well. And then, you know, like I figured that the people on the team probably thought that I was quite crazy as well. Because, you know, you're going yes all the time and then suddenly she's going no. And then like, <laughs> I started assuming this, um, I thought that, okay, you know what, to have a successful business, I have to take on the role of CEO. I am going to be, um, I'm going to be stern. I'm going to be distant. I'm going to be deliberately fucked. 
farmer. So, so then, like, that's interesting. So what you had this idea of these are the char- characteristics, what a, what, a dis- what a CEO displays, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encompass those characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was quite weird as well. And, um, you know, like I thought that, okay, you know what, I am going to be this person that I'm not so mm. that I'm going to be able to build a successful team. And, you know, like when you do that, the disconnect is huge because I was unhappy. The people on my team were probably really confused. Um, and because, you know, like I, I wasn't spending time in the office because, you know, like I was so uncomfortable with the entire situation. I would avoid going to the office. I would go to the office once a week, once in 10 days, once in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't want to talk to the people on the team. I didn't, I just wanted to leave. By and, how, and how big was the team at this stage? Um, the team was maybe six, right? six, six or seven people. Yeah. 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 And so, it was, yeah. Yeah. So this is, so, so this is the new younger team. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and then, and yeah. then, so I just want to explore because then you were saying, first of all, you hired that older team who you thought you would, you know, they would they would bring their experience in, yeah. and then they just there was some sounds like some differing opinions about how the business should be run. Mm-hmm. Did they have experience in the retail tech space, the e-commerce space specifically, or were they more from the fashion background? And so was that where there was the the disconnect was that they didn't really understand the the new uh, well, business model that you were trying to implement. E-commerce at that time wasn't it. It wasn't very popular then, so I think like e-commerce was almost unheard of. Um, a lot of people didn't believe in uh, shopping online or paying online, so. I think the people that we hired then were more from a business background. So when they came in and they saw how the business the business was run, they were quite taken aback. I think because it was so unstructured, um, it was so new. The entire industry was so new that we were trying to figure out our place and figure out our pace as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And then so you've brought the the new team on, and they <laughs> yeah. so they they're fresh grads, which yeah. you know so that you can shape them how you like. <laughs> But then yes. it sounds like you were going through this journey as well at the same time. Was So Meg, was she going through this with you? Uh, how present was she in the business at the same time? Um, she was present, um, quite, quite present, but she was really young at that point in time. So she was 17, 16, oh, 17. Right, right. Um, so she was, but because Meg, is, um, her background is more creative, so she focuses on the designs. She was focusing on the photo shoots then. So I took on the more business side of things. Mm. So I had to... Um, essentially, I had to manage the people. <laughs> right. And then so how did you get through this then? Because obviously then the business has gone from strength to strength So after after this. So what what was the next step? Um, well, okay, I was actually really lucky then because um, my boyfriend one day, he, you know, he was observing all of this and then he sat me down and he went, um, you know, like you don't, you obviously, you know, you've reached a stage where, um, you know, like you barely even know what's going on in the office. Um, why do you even, you know, like, why do you hire people that you don't trust to work together with you? If, you know, like, and I was like, no, what do you mean by, I, I, what do you mean by I don't trust them? And he was like, you don't spend time with them. You don't talk to them. You don't, um, you know, like you don't communicate with them. You don't even know them. And I was like, well, okay. Um, and then he was like, um, you know, like you realize your first team didn't work out and your second team doesn't seem to be working out as well. And he was like, do you know what the constant is? 
And I was like, what? <gasps> it's the constant. And he was like, you. Oh, right. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's confronting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I was just kind of staring at him with my mouth open. And then I was like, well, okay. <laughs> that makes right. sense. That's fun. But that made a lot of sense. So then I went back and then, you know, I really looked at me, right? And like how I was handling everything, how I was, you know, like how that team didn't work out and this team didn't work out. And, you know, like I started going online to read a lot of articles. Um, I started borrowing a couple of books from my boyfriend. And, um, you know, I realized that, you know, that I think at the end of the day, it's about being as genuine as you can be. I was a happy person. I am a happy person. Mm. Um, I am quite, um, I'm quite an open person. And, you know, if I wanted to bring that sort of me to the office, then I needed to find the sort of structure that would support that. I would need to build the sort of culture that would be able to um, support that and that would be able to complement my character and my personality as well. Mm. So that was what I started doing. Um, I started going to the office. Um, and then, you know, when I started going to the office, I was actually really lucky that I had somebody on the team come up to me and speak to me and essentially tell me something that was very similar to what my boyfriend told me. Right. And I realized that, you know, like when somebody speaks to you um, like that, it was confronting and it was uncomfortable, but it was the truth. And I was very, very, very grateful for that because mm. the fact that she came up to me and spoke to me about it meant that she cared. And that meant that, you know, yeah. that there was still hope. So then, and, and that's an incredibly brave thing of of someone to do that as well to go up to the the founder of the business and say, oh, well, actually, you might yeah, need so, to think about a few things. <laughs> yeah, so it was great as well because the thing was like you know then I realized that you know it. I also realized at the same time when she was speaking to me that it shouldn't always be about me. It should you know, mm. and that you know that the the fact that you know like my fear of. Um, of you know of, of 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 being myself because I was afraid I was going to be taken advantage of that fear of you know of of rejection that fear of disagreement that fear of um, not being liked of not being popular um, was the very thing that was preventing me from growing the business that I cared most about mm. and then that was when I realized that okay um, I'm going to try and center this around um, how Velvet Vast instead so then I started coming to the office I started getting to know people um, I started um, trying to understand everybody's motivations everybody's goals I started to get to know them not just as you know an employee but as a person mm. and I think when that happened everything kind of clicked into place I started realizing that you know like these people they have different you know they have different fears they have different concerns everybody's there for a reason there may be very different personalities on the team but, you know, like when you start to get to know everybody um, really, really well and on a very on a very personal level, um, you start to build a team that is very different, is very diverse, but that is united by a single goal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that really, really helped in building the culture. It really helped in um, setting a very strong foundation so that we'd be able to grow from there. Right. And so that, that must have been a number of years ago now. I know this is quite a long time ago, but then have you still got any of those people with you now? Um, yes, I do. So then I've got people that have been with me for many, many years. Um, I also had to make a couple of very hard decisions to let people go that, um, that didn't fit into the culture. In the beginning, I felt quite, I felt like I was a fraud in the beginning because to, I had to, you know, at one time, at, you start, you start off wondering, how do I gatekeep this? How do I, how can I become a, you know, a role model of the values of the culture that I'm, that, that I'm trying to build? 
and it was quite difficult. But then I realized that, you know, as long as I I keep three things in mind, um, you know, that it, it seems to work out for me. And that is every time I'm, I, I meet with a difficult decision, it's I ask myself, is it kind? Um, is it fair? And is it for the better good of um, Havel of us? And if it is, no matter how difficult the decision is, I make it. Right, right. And so that's really interesting that, you know, you have these core values that are, are really clear, that have been instilled in you and that you've, you've set uh, as a cornerstone for how you run the business. Is that really the guidance from your dad? Was he the one who sort of, you know, gave you some direction on that? Or is that something that you think just developed over time as you started to figure out this, you know, the, the right way of leading the business? Um, <laughs> my dad is very old school. So, um, the way he runs his team and his company currently, um, when I look on is terribly foreign to me. I right. I could have applied <laughs> okay. that to my team. Um, right. he comes from a very old school, very, um, dictatorship style sort of, um, of, of running a business. So I think if I adopted that, I, <laughs> Right. That's so interesting because you were talking before about, you know, the role that your dad has played. And actually, maybe it's more around just the fact that he, you know, because you mentioned the word values a couple of times, which I I love. And I I think it's, it's so important to have really clear values and principles at the heart of everything you do, both as a person and, and for the business. But it sounds like then he was encouraging you to uh, approach things with values in mind. But then absolutely, you found your own path, right? So I think it was, um, it really is, um, you know, like I, I really believe in, in the line that the faster you fail, the faster you learn. So I failed many, many times. And there were, I had many, many diff- difficult conversations with different people on the team and in shaping the culture, um, at the HVV culture as it is now, um, I, you know, there were so many times where I questioned myself. There were so many times, you know, like I wondered whether I was in the right position to even um, say the things that I said or, you know, like, re- you know, I didn't feel that I was, I had the right to release someone that I had, that, you know, that, that it was even fair for me to release somebody from the team when, you know, like it, it could have been a, you know, like more of a, a personality fit, a culture fit. So then the, 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 the lines were a bit grey as well to me sometimes. But then eventually as I grew, I realised that that it causes a lot of distress to the existing people on the team when you have people who don't fit into the culture and who can't understand yes. um, the values or the sort of direction that the team is going, even if they are good people. Yep. Um, yep. I also didn't want to waste their time um, because, you know, like if, you know, you are in a company that you can't um whose whose values you can't understand then it is very taxing and it's very tiring for you as well yeah oh look i I completely agree with that and it's interesting i actually i recorded a podcast last week with a a group of uh founders there were four of us and we were all sharing stories about you know setting up businesses and challenges we've faced and you know what works and what doesn't and you know we, we talked a lot about this idea of culture and the importance of having the right energy in the room and, you know, for me, energy is a part of the type of culture that you want to set. And yeah. so that, you know, what you've just described, absolutely, I've felt that too, where, you know, even I've just had a couple of different instances of different interns actually just coming into the business and they clearly didn't have the right energy uh, in terms of, you know, the positivity, how they, you know, how much they wanted to be there, whether they felt like they were just doing it because they needed to tick something off for their academic requirements yeah. And, and I, I realized, you know, after a couple of times of this happening, 
actually, uh, there are lots of other people out there who do want an experience like this. So if someone's not working, then you just let them go. Um, you know, of course, it's yeah. a little bit easier when it's an intern situation because it's kind of a, a part-time thing anyway. But it actually can impact the rest of the team. And when you've got other people who are really keen and aligned with uh, the direction of the business, then you want to support them as much as possible so that they can just get on with their job. And part of that is making sure that there's the right level of energy in the room. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, okay, Claire, so then let's talk about the, the business and what you've built out. So this, you know, it's really interesting hearing your story about um, growing out the team then tell us a bit more about what Hurt Velvet Vars does and, you know, both from the, the perspective of building out your, your tech and your offering. So then you've, you know, because you've created an e-commerce business before e-commerce really started to boom here. Uh, maybe if you can just talk us through that a bit. Um, well, we started out um, primarily online, so um, completely digitally native. Um, we started out importing products and then eventually grew into designing our own products. So um, now we are vertically integrated. Um, I think it's been a very interesting journey because um, we started out online and then um, that was that was when everybody was still uh, all our other competitors were still in brick and mortar and then now that we um, now that we moved online for a couple of years we're starting to see this shift where we are um, well everybody's trying to rush online we're trying to rush offline right and I think yeah. it's been very interesting as well because if you look at um, if you look at how our customers have grown with us uh, we've also seen a very big um, a very big jump from uh, from when uh, when we first started, and our customers were a lot younger, and now they're starting to grow um, to grow up together with me and Meg. Right, right. So they're following you as the as the journey goes on. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And so tell us then, because obviously you've started the business from scratch, and so you don't have a tech background because you started it while you're at university. And then how have you found you know that process of building out then an e-commerce business? Um, well, it, it, so the thing was like when we first started, there wasn't a there there weren't any parameters, so it was good in the sense that we got to create and recreate our own boundaries. I think as we grew, we realized that uh, that the sort of customer information that was coming in was very helpful, but then we weren't utilizing it. We weren't taking advantage of it to understand our customers better. So that was what we were focused, we've been focusing on in the last couple of years, understanding the different um, trends, the different habits that our customers have, and then trying to build that in in-house. We are going at it from a very a very um, simple point of view. So I think our, our, our key theme for our tech is to is that simplicity is is the best way to go to try to understand the smaller things that our customer have and then see how we can integrate that into our our entire system so that we'll be able to offer customers a very seamless and a very um uh, a very a very smooth and a very unobstru uh, unobstructive shopping experience right right and then so you know, I want to understand a little bit, you know, you've gone offline now as well. Maybe if you can talk us through through that story. How do you complement the online and the offline offerings? Well, it's – so how, we, how the reason why we started to – realising that a lot of customers wanted to, 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 to feel the brand and to touch our products in person 
um, we've seen this. It's, it's quite interesting as well because when we when we when we look at it in the overall picture, I think online was our online platform was a great opportunity for us to to have the time and to have the space to kind of introduce the brand, to let customers see see us online and then to kind of get that vibe from us. And then when we were able to go offline, it was a whole new different ballgame because we were able to to find people to embody the brand, to personalize the brand and to kind of evangelize the brand as well so that our customers would be able to really sort of um, immerse themselves into the Havel Vast experience. So what, this is about the people that you have on the floor in the store, you mean? Yes, that's right. Yeah, right. And so I think, you know, when we first met, I think one of the interesting uh, stories that you were talking to me about was how you're using data that you are collecting in the online world to be able to feed into uh, the what you're doing in the offline world. Maybe if you can talk about that a bit more. Well, let me maybe let me backtrack a bit. So previously, um, I was I was quite focused on the data, but then I also realized, um, you know, in the past couple of months, I think that really nearing the last the last year, that it's when I when I go to the US and when I was in the US, I realized that there are so so many brands that are focusing on customer experience. Um, and I think I spoke about this a little bit during the the, the talk that, 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 that I went to previously with you. Mm. Um, that, you know, that there are so many companies now currently that are placing a lot of emphasis on tech, um, on, you know, like on gadgets, on sensors, on all sorts of tech-related items and installing it in every single part of their store so that they can understand customers. But then if you, you know, if you really walk in and you look at all these and you look at this in the bigger picture and the bigger frame of things that, that a lot of these are sometimes unnecessary and um, to the point that it can get a little bit creepy to the customer. Right, right. <laughs> and when I was in the U S I realized that um, you have this other group of, of, of brands that may be a little bit more indie, um, a little bit smaller, but they are very, very, very focused on building um, customer experience where, you know, like it's really instead of tracking your customers, instead of, um, of, 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 of looking at just data, it is about going up to the customer and speaking to them and just asking them a question and asking them, you know, like, do you like, do you like my product? You know, like, what do you think about my product? How can we improve? And I think that is, um, and that I, I think that's the direction that we really want to go into because I feel that data is important. It's, um, it helps you frame situations and it helps you frame different solutions and it helps you understand the problem a bit more. But that should all happen very seamlessly back in. Um, it should happen in such a way that the customer is not obvious that it is that it is occurring and it should happen very seamlessly. It should support the sort of experience that you that 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 the brand is having with the customer in person. And so how do you do that then? Do you you empower the people on the floor to ask questions and what do you uh, do you have a formalized way of then collecting those data points? Um, well, it it actually falls back. Uh, well, the, the crux of this um, and the core of this eventually falls back on culture. Again, I feel um, it's about building, um, you know, like it's about understanding that everybody on the team understanding your story, everybody on the team <clears throat> being able to, uh, to work towards that goal that everybody believes in and that everybody feels that they are contributing to. And when that kind of trickles down from the headquarters down to the store and the people in the store are able to understand that sort of direction they were going to and they believe in it as well, then it starts um, it's, it starts showing in the interactions with the team. So we have, um, 
we have um, a a base structure that the girls in the in the store will work on. So, for example, um, they will focus on certain questions that that tie back to our to our slogan, um, and then they will use that information to um, to have a chat with the customer, have a conversation with the customer, and then as the customer gives feedback, they save it, and then they build that sort of relationship with the customer where like we can continue um, we can continue that discussion on several different other platforms, and because that that information isn't tied to, say, for example, a very strict survey question. It's mm. more open-ended. We're able to bring that sort of information and kind of um, integrate that into the back end of, um, of, of our tech. Yeah, right. That's really interesting. But, uh, you know, how do you do that then? So if, you've, if it, it sounds like it's, it's, uh, it's fluid, it's not too structured, and I can see how that would make for far greater, more interesting insights about a customer where you can actually then tailor what you're doing to be able to deliver them something that's more relevant to them. How do you actually make that happen then? Particularly, I'm really interested in then how you use other platforms to be able to uh, take that service to the next stage. So for us, um, maybe I should give you a little bit of context about our, um, our story. Mm. And then, and then, and then walk, and then walk, walk from there. Great. So the thing was like uh, a summarized, a very quick summarized version of it was um, as I as I built Havalavas um, in the many years that I built Havalavas, I think I've met many different um, many different women, um, many different girls as well, and I think what I realized was that all of us are striving to be the best versions of ourselves. Um, we want to be, you know, we have all these different roles. Uh, we want to be the best mom, we want the best sister, the best daughter, the best girlfriend, the best wife, the best best friend. And I think like in that in that journey of wanting to be the best versions of ourselves, sometimes we forget to appreciate the smaller things in life. We forget to, um, you know, to have gratitude, to, um, to be contented with the small wins that we have. And, you know, like, when you tie it back to the different roles that um, all these women have, you have, you know, like the very cool boss that is in the office that's always in control, that, you know, always has um, everything down pat, has all the answers. And then, you know, she goes home and then she's busting into tears and she has no idea what's going on. <laughs> right. <Yes. Yeah. laughs> but, you know, two different roles. Yeah. Uh, or you have the boss or the manager that is very put together, that, you know, that is very stern and that's very serious. But then, you know, she comes back home, she throws off her shoes and she's crawling on the floor with her kid having a ball over time. So, there's so many different roles and I realized that, you know, that all of us, we just want to be perfect. We just want to strive for, mm. you know, that, 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 you know, like to be a greater and a better version of ourselves. But we forget that, you know, it is our imperfections. It is our fears, our insecurities, our vulnerabilities. Um, it, all these things come together and that is what makes us us. Yeah, so yeah. I think, you know, like for, for, for me along the way, I realized that this was my why, that um, that I wanted to share this sort of thing, not just with, you know, like not just within my team, but also with um, other people, with our customers as well. And I wanted to be able to share that, that you know, that, that small wins, a lot of society believes that, you know, like wins are, you know, like when you graduate, when you have a promotion, when something good and something successful happens to you. But my take on it is, wins should be you know like when you fail and you dusted you know your knees and you crawl back up and you know i'm i'm hoping that you know with her vast and with you know with the hv team that we'll be able to to share that message out there more that that you need to fail a lot so that you can learn a lot and that failure is great and that you want to fail as soon as possible so that you can learn yeah, as possible right. as well nice, and, nice. yes and, and the wonderful thing about this too is that you can really speak um, about that this sort of from, mindset to our customers. Yeah, 
Yeah. And and then yeah. but you can speak about this from, <laughs> from personal experience and you know just <laughs> that is right. That is right. Yeah. And you know, like we felt that, you know, fashion could be so much more meaningful if, you know, like you could throw open your cupboard and you see a dress there that, you know, that maybe you can't fit into anymore. Yeah. Uh, that was five years ago. But that was the dress that you wore when you went out for a presentation and you were terrified, but like, you know, you made it out of their life. You survived it. Or it was your first presentation, your first meeting that you had. But the thing was that, you know, you wore it and you owned it. And, you know, I, you know, and, you know, like when you see that dress in your cover, you know, you think back of that memory, you smile because it's like you, you smile, you giggle and you wonder like, wow, I didn't think that I could, but I did. Yeah. In that dress. And, you know, it brings that sort of memory back. And I think that was what we really wanted to create. You know, we wanted to be able to create memories and celebrate milestones. And the milestones should be about the small wins, not the big ones. And so that was what kind of what what the foundation that we built, that, that is our, you know, our story. And I see that in so many girls and so many people as I grow the team as well. A lot of people come in and they think that, you know, that inexperience is a handicap when it's actually a merit, because the thing is like when you are desperate and you don't know anything, that is when you're learning the fastest. That's when your 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 learning curve is wow. is, is yeah. strong as well. So yeah. I think everybody on the HVV team resonates with that and they believe in that and you know like in you know like in the different in the different ways and in the individual paths, everybody has kind of, you know, like doubted themselves or wondered, you know, um wondered what they were doing. But I think, you know, at the end of the day we're all just kind of figuring out um figuring out our path and figuring Absolutely. out Absolutely. Like, and yeah. you know what? That never goes away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, I've spoken to other successful, <laughs> successful business founders who've been doing this stuff for years and years and years, and you know, they say the same thing: that that fear, that that feeling sometimes of being a fraud, or you know, just yeah. feeling really inexperienced and not knowing what you're doing. That never goes away. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> so yeah, so that. That start, so that forms the foundation of Avala Vast. And I think when you're able to bring that sort of um, story and share it with customers, I think they're able to resonate with you on a much more personal level. Mm. Um, they're able to share their story with you. And when they do that, you're able to craft an experience that is very personalized for them because they're able to, you know, both of you are able to understand each other on a much less transactional level. And when we have that sort of relationship, it's easier for us to reach out to them. It's easier for us to send out um, emails. It's easier for us to send out um, uh, different different forms of communication and get this sort of feedback. So it's very open-ended feedback. And I think we're still at this stage because our feedback is so open-ended. We're trying to find a way to kind of... Um, to kind of compartmentalize it so that we can feed it into um, a system, a, a tech mm-hmm. system that is able to, um, to, to, to generate, I think, like generate results based on these sort of feedback that we're getting. So we're still at that stage. Um, but I think like this sort of feedback is a lot more important than um, very data-centric feedback where like, you know, okay, a customer buys this sort of product on this day, um, um, this time of the year, and she spends this amount of money. The sort of feedback that we're getting is a lot more constructive yeah. because it is something that we can actually work on. It's the experience that we're working on and not just the product. Yeah, that's really interesting because then it becomes such a personal uh, experience for each of the people who are shopping with you. Yeah. And, you know, I think what I, I find really interesting is that you don't necessarily have the solution in place for that yet. However, you realize that this is actually, this is about the individual. And, you know, as the whole marketing industry moves towards much more precision-based data-led marketing, 
there are going to be tools and uh, solutions which I'm sure are going to be able to help you with this and you know AI different different AI led solutions that are going to be able to sort through the insights and figure out the right way to be able to then tailor more more specific messaging and uh, or even you know in any of the martech tools that are you know out there now that might be able to help you sift through this so it sounds like you've actually come at it from a you know really interesting customer first place and then figuring out the right way to to build it which yeah. is really interesting <laughs> It yeah. drives um, it drives our programmer and our developer insane, <laughs> right? <laughs> because I'm coming with him with all this data, and I'm like, how can we um, how can we um, translate all of this into a solution for us? And he's looking at all of this, and he's like, why can't you just get you know like numerical data? Why can't right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like something that is a lot easier. But I think it's, I think that that's the challenge as well, being able to kind of marry um, product related data, which is um, which is important, yeah. but also together with um, the experience sort of data. And I think that's the part that is, I think, driving all our all the people who are working with us um, when it comes to uh, tech related right. features in scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting though. Uh, yeah, what an uh, what an incredible journey to be on. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's been really interesting, Claire. Oh, actually, you know, I I do just want to hear a little bit more about, you know, if you can just tell us what's happening with your offline work now, because uh, I just I'd love people to hear a bit more about what you're doing and what you've been building out. Um, well, we um, we started on a pop up store last year, and then um, a couple of weeks ago, we just signed the lease for a permanent location in um, Plaza Singh. And then you know in, we're also here in open, Singapore. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Singapore. Yeah, um, and then we're also hoping to open another one to two stores um, within the next year. So that's the plan that we have for Singapore. And then we are also hoping to because um, we are um, we are also in the US. Uh, we started out B two C, but then eventually kind of pivoted to B two B instead. Um, and so we're hoping to grow on that front as well. And then last of all, we're also hoping to expand within Southeast Asia. Right, right, great. And so, what that's uh, uh, you're looking at, uh, sort of nailing Singapore first, and then growing across SEA over the next few years. Is, do you have a bit of a roadmap for that? Um, well, for us, I think we've we're looking at a couple of partnerships with uh, some of the newer countries mm -hmm. um, like uh, Vietnam and Cambodia. So um, we're definitely interested in expanding to these areas. I think for us in the beginning, why we expanded to the US was because we felt that um, it made more sense for us because one, Meg is studying um, uh, fashion design and Parsons in the US and, you know, she understood the market there a bit more. Mm -hmm. And we thought it made more strategic sense to expand further and then to work our way backwards because we felt that the market might not have been, uh, we might not have been ready uh, to expand within Southeast Asia at the point of time. Um, but I think now, it's a, you know, like we've hit a, a sweet spot where, um, it could be quite, it could be quite exciting for us to expand into Southeast Asia um, mm. in the year or so. Right, great, very exciting, excellent. Well, it's been really lovely speaking with you today, Claire. Thank you so much for sharing your really interesting story with us. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, all all the best for the future, and we look forward to seeing more her velvet bars. Uh, stores around the place and also just continuing to build that online presence thank you great thanks bye you've been listening to asia tech podcast find out more at atp.show